0: Well, today is a very special day for Peter and Ellie. It's their anniversary. I believe it's the 17th anniversary today. And it's indeed a great, great moment or occasion to, to be reminded of one's love. And I think as time passes by, love only increases, doesn't it? And this week was our 16th wedding Anniversary. We had such a lovely time at home. Uh, it was a lockdown anniversary, so uh, you can imagine how things went. It all started with a lovely in bed breakfast Annette prepared. Those pancakes get better uh, day by day. And Danny and David helped Annette to uh, wait on Mum and Dad, and it was, it was lovely. Marco was running around the house all day, pretty much saying, Happy. Mummy and Daddy's anniversary, and when he prayed, he prayed, thanking God for Mummy and Daddy's anniversary. Uh, later in the afternoon, Annette prepared a lovely uh, meatballs um, dish and spaghetti. It was indeed delicious. And then later in the evening, I um, uh, invited Raquel out to the movies. Um, well, in the living room. Uh, watching a film via Netflix and uh, yes, we ordered a takeaway and I went to collect it and we had a lovely meal as the children were fast asleep in bed and uh, we had a lovely time and uh, obviously couldn't, it was not going to miss, uh, surprised it with some lovely flowers, lovely big um, gorgeous roses and then she asks, where's the chocolates? And uh, well, I forgot the chocolates. Can you believe that? And then, even yesterday, I asked her, So, where's the chocolates? <laughs> she asked again for her chocolates. Sorry. Sometimes it is hard to know what to give someone, uh, really. One day, my uncle, one of my uncles, gave my aunt a football TV subscription, and she doesn't really watch football. So, you know exactly why he bought that football subscription. For her, allegedly. What we do says a lot about our motives, doesn't it? What do your actions say about your own desires? In which ways do your actions show that you love other things more than God? What are we to do when our love for the Lord grows cold? What are we to do when our love for the Lord is not as it used to be before? Well, today we will be looking at James chapter 4. And I'd like to to invite you to open up a copy of the scriptures, James chapter 4. And we will be considering what James has to tell us about the big problem that we all have in our hearts. He will tell us, indeed, the root of troubles, the root of problems, the root of division in a church. James 4, and we will read from verses 1 to verse 12 and consider this portion of Scripture. I have divided this message in three parts. The first part is adultery. The second part is a word love. And the third part is a word of application. Adultery, love, and then we will conclude with a word of application. You adulterous people. How's that for directness? James is certainly not holding his punches. Verse 4. You adulterous people. And he's saying this quite intentionally. He wants to arouse the attention. More than that. He wants them to see what lies at their heart of sin. Spiritual adultery. Adultery is when a man is unfaithful to his wife. When he goes away. Into the arms of another woman, when he gives to another the love that he, he rightfully belongs to his own missus. But James wants Christians to see that when they love, Other things instead of God who saved them in Jesus Christ the Saviour. When they desire for other things, when they desire for money, possessions more than God. When they desire for themselves fame and power and glory instead of seeking glory of God. When they pursue other lovers, those flirting lovers instead of God. They, even they are adulterers who have turned their back on God, enemies of God, they. But it is you. It is you, the word he uses repeatedly over and over again. Ten times from verses one to ten in the Greek, he uses the word you. It is as if he wants them to own up, to wake up from their immorality, From wake up, to wake up from their own sin, to take responsibility. Well, they're cheating. They're cheating on God. Adultery is ugly. It tears through hearts. It produces deep wounds. The effects of Adultery are devastating, and the effects of spiritual adultery against God are far, far reaching. For starters, James says, that their relationships come to a halt. Their relationships are hindered because of their Desires for other things. Look at verse 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or pleasures are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He wants them to be clear that their broken relationships, their brow, their their arguments are simply a symptom of their unfaithfulness towards God. But it doesn't finish there. Broken relationships is not the only symptom. He carries on in telling them that their lack of prayer is also another symptom. Look at verse two. You do not have because you do not ask they stopped praying very long ago no wonder they don't even have the very basics in their own living do they forget the lord's prayer the one that says give us this day our daily bread. I, I don't think that they had forgotten the Lord's Prayer. In fact, th- these people were pre-religious people themselves. It is not that they had forgotten the Lord's Prayer. Their trouble was that they had no time for prayer as they were too busy on their phones googling for the latest fill-in-the-blank thing. These people, it is not that they had no, 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 no knowledge of the Bible. The only thing they had in their minds was was the very desires of their hearts. And when they finally pray, you know what they only pray about? Is that thing, fill in the blank thing that they only spend their lives searching for in their lives. It is like that. Story that uh, Rico Tice mentions in Christianity, explored of this couple. Uh, He's 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 proposing to his dear girlfriend, and he's on his knee, looking at her and telling her that, that the amount of love he has for her. I love you so much, my dear. I may not have a lovely car and a big house like Jeffrey Brown, but everything I have. It is yours. I love you, my dear. Would you marry me? To which he turns around and replies and says, I love you so very much as well. But could you tell me a little bit more about Jeffrey Brown? These can be us. But he's telling them, this is you guys. The only thing these Christians were too busy thinking about was themselves. How to satisfy their desires. And their broken relationships with people within their church and their lack of prayer were simply the symptoms of their selfishness. Not praying showed their self-sufficiency. Not praying showed their self-reliance, their total independence from God. You adulterous people, he says to them in verse 4, and he carries on. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. What was their wish? Again, verse four. Their wish was to be friends with the world. James calls this adultery against God. Now, he's not saying that we cannot have friends that are non-Christians. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. That is not what James is saying here. But they were friends with the world. They had adopted the values that the world has and holds above God. They treasured the things that the world treasures. They defended the things zealously that the world defends. They were fighting for things that the world fights to love the world is to be friends with the world. In reality, a Christian who is a friend with the world is a contradiction. To say that one is a Christian, a follower of Christ, who has taken his cross and following the Savior, and at the same time he's loving the world, it's simply a contradiction. The two things do not go together. They are incompatible. This is what James is telling them. And this is exactly what, what we can learn for us today. This is so relevant for us. Their rebuke is our rebuke. But you know what the problem is? We tend to have an inflated view about ourselves. We tend to think that we are fine. We tend to think that the desires have nothing to do with it. We may have broken relationships. We may have prayerlessness. But we cheat ourselves thinking, nah, it are my desires. Those are okay. So we justify ourselves. Once upon a time, there was a little child who went to Dad and said, Dad, I am eight feet and four inches tall. And Dad said, hey, did you know you're eight feet and four inches tall? The child said, well, I measured myself and I am eight rulers tall. And Dad said, go and show me. So off goes the child and Dad goes behind him. And the child comes out and comes out with a six inch ruler. You see... We tend to have such an inflated view about ourselves. We, We see ourselves in a better light than what we really are. We all tend to think of ourselves in an inflated way. We tend to think that we are fine. It's just the others. How are you today? I'm fine. It's the others. James says... It is you. The problem is you. The problem is right in your heart. Do you want to see the evidence, brothers and sisters? Do Do you want to see evidence of this? Let me ask you this question. How is your prayer life? Do you pray? How often do you pray? And when you do pray, what are the sort of things that you pray about? What fills your mouth and your heart? Children, those of you who profess the name of the Saviour, do you pray? Do you spend time before the Lord in prayer? What do your petitions reveal about your heart? What do they say about your heart? And, and you know, James has told them that the lack of prayer is not the only revealing symptom. There's another symptom, broken relationships. So let me ask you this question, my dear brothers and sisters. Do you usually get along with those people around you? What sort of things usually get you cross? What makes you angry, grumpy? What are the sort of things that push your buttons? What triggers conflict with people around you? My dear brothers and sisters, the answer to those questions will reveal the desires that rule your heart and my heart. There is nothing wrong with Wanting things, what's wrong is when they control us and when they become uncontrollable pleasures in our lives. What's wrong is when they take the place of God and rule our hearts. I want that woman so badly, said David, and he sent off in a wicked plan to kill his, her husband, I want power so badly, said Pharaoh, and he sent to all those children to be thrown into the Nile. I want a baby so badly, said the women in the book of Ezekiel, when they were weeping to Tammuz, the god of fertility. I want, I want, I want what things drive you. What are you willing to turn a blind eye to for the sake of getting what you really, really want? What are the things that you're willing to say? Oh, it doesn't really matter. What are the things you're willing to even break the law? The law of God (laughs) for the sake of what you really, really want. The answer to those searching questions will reveal the object of your love, spiritual Adultery, spiritual adultery. So let us jump back into James. Let us look at the next part. What does God think about these cheating people? What is God's response about these people who are forsaking Him for others? Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose that is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James is telling these people, sinners, fighting people, that the Lord yearns for them, that he loves them. He's like a husband who wants his wife back, back into the arms from her lover. God longs for his people to return like Israel in the Old Testament. He wants them to return back to their first love. And not only that, in his loving pursuit, he gives them more grace. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Grace is God's undeserved favour. God doesn't want them to remain with their lover. He wants them to to come back. So the question is, will they remain in their infidelity and receive God's opposition? Or will they return to God and receive grace? More grace. Look at verse six again. God opposes the... Therefore it says, God opposes the proud... But gives grace to the humble. So what does turning from sin look like? What, what does this look like? Well, James tells us to submit. Verse 7. Submit, therefore, yourselves to God. To submit means to recognise God's authority. To yield to God's rule, to recognize that God is Lord, to, to see that this is not an optional extra in their lives. It is not an optional extra in their lives because to become a Christian is to die, to die to sin and James wants them to take up their cross and to continue following Jesus, as they said in the very first day. James wants them to submit to God in everything, not some things, no little things. But he wants them to submit to God in all things. That's why he moves to the next point and tells them about Satan. He talks to them about the devil. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee from you. The devil is a real force in the world. The devil longs for them to oppose God. The devil wants them to not delight in God but to have half-hearted affection towards God. The devil wants them To be distracted. But James tells them, resist the devil. He doesn't say, blame the devil. He's telling them, resist the devil. How did Jesus receive temptation as he faced Satan in the wilderness? He used the very word of God and he resisted the devil. And the devil went away. And what? And that is exactly the promise. Look at there, verse seven again. Receive the devil, and he will flee from you. What James wants these believers to do is that when the thought comes to their mind, when the devil goes and plants a thought, whether it is about. Looking at the things of the world, the desires of the things of the pleasures here in life or whether it is about suicide or what have you. He wants them to resist the devil. Because if they entertain the thought, the desire, like in the previous chapter, is like a baby, an ugly baby. Sin is born and he inducts killing. Killing. But he wants them to resist the devil. Look at Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He wants believers to be assured that God is not reluctant to embrace them back. Isn't that wonderful? And look at them, verse eight, 8 again. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Hands and hearts. Hands are actions and hearts are attitude. James wants them to be broken for their adultery against God. James wants them to be broken. Look at verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He wants them to replace their past laughter, the laughter they had with that lover. He wants them to replace the joy they had, false joy with that lover. And he wants them to turn it into mourning, weeping and gloom. In other words, he wants them to experience sorrow, real sorrow. And so he commands in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Their repentance will bring reconciliation with God. But there is something else that their repentance will do. Not only will they be vertically at peace with God... But they horizontally will seek to be at peace with their brothers and sisters. No longer will they be deciding which law they want to obey. No longer will they become judges of God's law. Now they will long to submit to God because of love. They will now long to please the Lord and his word because he's the Lord. No longer will they have half-hearted devotion. That means... Fights and quarrels will be things of the past. They will now have a new relationship with God and with those around them. Look at verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. They were judgmental. But if you judge the law, that is Making a decision as to what you want to obey or not, or whether he's worth or not. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? These are hard words for them, isn't it? But, but how about us? What What does this say to us? My brothers and sisters, when will we follow James' instruction? When will we turn back to our first love we once had with our Lord? When will we return to the Lord who is faithful and loved us in the gospel? When will we remember the old, old story Only then will we turn to the Lord when we see God's grace as a result, not of our performance, when we see God's grace as a result of His steadfast love and faithfulness. Only then... Only then will we receive grace from God when we behold the beauty of Christ. When we remember the love, the love of our faithful Redeemer. When we remember the price He paid because grace is costly. When we turn to Him in the same way that we did the very first time when we became Christians. When we turn in repentance and faith to our Lord in weeping. But I wonder how often do we weep? Do we ever weep? Are there any reasons why we even weep today? There are all sorts of things that move your emotions and that make you all emotional and, and, and shed a tear. The other day we were watching a Disney movie. I was with the kids and and Raquel, and suddenly Raquel asked a question right in the middle of the climax of the movie, and I'm like, <coughs> "And she, said, are you crying? <coughs> no, I'm not crying. We we weep for all sorts of for all sorts of things, don't we? But when was the last time you wept for your sin?" Have you ever wept for your sin? Do we weep for our adulterous sin against God, for cheating God, for loving our sin? My dear brothers and sisters, how did we respond to the gospel the very first time we came to Christ? Well, that's exactly the same way in which you ought to turn away from your adulteries back to the Redeemer. Let me ask you, in what specific ways are you yet to submit to God? In what specific ways are you yet to resist the devil? In what ways do my actions or your actions still show that you have split loyalties? What would it take for you to be loyal to God alone? What are the things you ought to offer in the altar before God? When will you cease judging God's law or judging people around you? My dear brothers and sisters, when will we pray like the psalmist? Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. We cannot have love for God. And love for the world at the same time. We cannot serve two masters. Stop fantasizing about the things you would like and love to have. Start living a real, lasting joy that is only found in the Savior Jesus Christ today. There is this fable in Aesop's Fables, and it's about the dog and his shadow. The dog is crossing the bridge with a, with a lump of meat on his mouth. And as he's crossing the bridge, he looks down and he sees his reflection. He sees this other dog with a big, juicy meat, bigger than his. And so he sees it and jumps into the water, snaps. His piece of meat falls and he's left without any meat at all. We cannot have both God... And at the same time, be friends of the world. We cannot serve to master. So what are we then to do? What James wants them to do and what James wants you and I to do today is to return to your first love. Return to your first love. Love, My dear brothers and sisters, stop flirting with the things of this world. Return to your first love. What are the things that entice you? Stop looking at those things and return to your first love. Are you being swayed by the devil and listening to the devil to the point that you already are partners in crime with the devil? Used to it that you can't know any difference now. Oh, the pastor's coming! Quick, return to your first love. Recognize your unfaithful ways and cry to God for forgiveness in the same way that a broken. Adulterous husband would return to his wife, weeping and crying for her sin. God will not despise you. He will receive you and he will give you more grace. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Return to your first love. She was just 17 years of age. When she had a terrible accident, she jumped into the water, and she broke her neck. She became quadriplegic. Her name, Johnny Erickson Tada. I'm sure some of you may have heard her name. Since her accident, she became a very prolific uh, writer, author, and an artist, and, and a marvelous woman. When she was 33, she married her husband, Ken. And she recalls on the day of her wedding, she was already dressed up. I mean, that is the, that is the, the dream of many women, isn't it? She was all nicely dressed up and she was on her uh, electric wheelchair or motorized wheelchair moving towards the, the door. But as she was getting closer and the door was still, clo- was still closed, she realised that a terrible thing had happened. Part of her dress got caught on the wheel, and so she now had a big, massive grease stain on her dress and a huge tear on the fabric. And to make things worse, the, the flower she had she was holding got stuck and lodged in between her leg and and, and and the chair. And as she's there in the middle of this predicament, the doors open, and she sees all the people, and she... And this is what she writes. She says, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little skewed in my lap. The fact that my dress didn't fall, uh, fall right because I was sitting on the wheelchair, the grease marks, the, the rip in my gown and all all paled in comparison when I saw can. My brothers and sisters, behold Christ. Behold Christ. Behold the Saviour. All those things of this world will matter not. All the longings and desires that so fill your heart will be forgotten. Behold the Redeemer. Behold the Saviour. Return to your first love. Return to your first love today.